0: Welcome to the Grace Point Podcast, the ministry of Grace Point Church for Forsyth in Cumming, Georgia. To find out more about Grace Point Church, you can go to our website at gpcga.org. That's gpcga.org. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, it's a good day. I love Sundays. Sundays are such a glorious time, not just because we get to be together, but because we get to open God's Word and celebrate who He is. As you've already noticed, uh, we are in the Advent season, that, t- that time of anticipation. That's what Advent means, a season of anticipation. And for a long time growing up, I thought that that anticipation was just for Christmas and the celebration of Jesus' first coming. And it wasn't until I started to dive deeper that I realized that it's an anticipation of Jesus' first coming. But it's also a season for us to anticipate his second coming. For us to anticipate that day when he will come back and we will be with God for eternity. Whether that happens in our lifetime or not, as we celebrate Advent every year, it's a time for us to look forward to all that Christ has and will do in our lives. So I hope that as we celebrate Christmas or Advent, as we sing these songs that we know so well, you'll take time not just to sing them, because we all know them, but to think about the words. Go back in your bulletin to the first page as we sang Joy to the World. I love the third verse. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. You remember that in the garden when sin came in, uh, thorns came up into the ground as a sign that not just is our heart affected by sin, but that the world is affected by sin. And so in this song, we're looking forward to the day when that ceases. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. What a glorious phrase that is. As far as the curse is found, as far as those thorns and thistles are found, as far as sin has affected us, Jesus comes to deal with that. What a glorious thing for us to remember as we celebrate Advent. Well, for those of you who don't know me, in case you haven't figured out, I'm Pastor James, the pastor here at Grace Point, and I am excited to be here. As Bill already mentioned, here at Grace Point, we are striving to be a covenant family of hope based on God's word, loving one another, and never forgetting for our own sake and for the sake of sharing with others the hope that is the gospel of grace. That is who we are striving to be. That's who we're growing to be. And I pray that you will see that and that will be a part of our worship service, both in the service itself and as we break from the service. We are continuing our series in the book of Hebrews uh, today. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. So if you have your Bibles, uh, the Blue Pew Bibles in front of you, you can find us on page 1006. And in the Red Pew Bibles, which are a little bit larger print, it's on page 1193, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. As you turn there, I wanted to encourage you, um, I, I have mentioned this before, uh, I love giving resources and, and, and helping us to, to draw closer to the Lord, and Paul David Tripp just came out with a book recently called Sunday Matters, and in this week's section on Sunday Matters, which is a book preparing us For worship, he says two things that really stood out to me. First, he said, corporate worship is designed to stimulate you to make sure your life today... Oh, sorry, that's the wrong one. That's (laughs) next week. Now you know. Corporate worship is designed to move you from a life of independence to a life of humble, willing, joyful, and consistent dependence on God. From a life of independence to a life of humble, willing, joyful, and consistent dependence on God. We're going to see that as we look into our text on how as we try to do things, as we try to to deal with our sin, it doesn't work. But when Christ comes along, he does what we cannot do. And so then Paul David Tripp ends this section with this. May we joyfully gather and remember that God daily protects us as we grapple with the seductive delusion of independence and celebrate together the grace that has wooed us again and again into the rest and security of dependence on God. What a glorious reminder that we can't do it, but God has provided more than enough for us to have that assurance. With that in mind, please stand as I read from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. Not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Father, what a glorious text this is as we've been diving into what it means that you gave us first your old covenant and now your new covenant in Christ and how the old covenant pointed forward to the new covenant. We pray that as we hear more about who Jesus is and what he's done, we wouldn't look at these as things we already know and just write off, but instead we would once again be struck with awe and wonder at the glory of Jesus. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Corey Tim Boone said this, In order to realize the worth of the anchor, we need to feel the stress of the storm. In order to realize the worth of the anchor, we need to feel the stress of the storm. Have you ever had times in your life that felt like storm and struggle? Times when you didn't know what was going on, times when you felt like you were being cast to and fro, back and forth. Maybe even times when you wondered if God is in the midst of your struggle at all because things seemed so difficult. Maybe you're even a, in a period of that right now. The audience of Hebrews knew the feeling of struggle knew the feeling of being tossed to and fro. They were being persecuted. They were being attacked. And because of this, they wanted to go back to what they knew previously, before they believed in Jesus, back to Judaism. They wanted to go back because it was a comfort to them. But the author of Hebrews is saying, don't do that. Jesus is the anchor in the storm. Is there hope for them? Is there hope for us? Do we have a faithful anchor in the trials and struggles of this life? Yes. Yes, we do. And it is Christ. It's Christ because from the beginning of time, as we've said over and over, God has wanted to be in relationship with us. We started in relationship in the garden, but sin broke that relationship. And so God has continuously given us ways to repair that relationship and be back with him. We saw that the minute sin entered this world, Genesis 3.15, as God is handing out those punishments, he gives hope through what we call the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel. We saw all of the covenants that God makes With Adam, that one is coming. With Abraham, that you will be my people. With Moses, that this is how you function. Even with Noah, that I won't flood the world again. Even with David, that you would have a descendant. And ultimately, with Christ. God has been building on these promises again and again to help us realize he is the anchor in the storm. And now, as, the, author, or as the, the audience of Hebrews is tempted to go back to Judaism, is tempted to go back to what they knew, is tempted to go back to the covenant with Moses, the author is drawing them back into what makes Jesus beautiful. In the covenant with Moses, the family of God was given an understanding for the cost of sin. That is, blood has to be shed. But we also know that that very covenant, that very Mosaic covenant was inadequate. We read just a few weeks ago in chapter 8, verse 7 through 13. He says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. And then the author of Hebrews goes on to quote Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, and show that even in the Old Testament, God was already promising something better. And now, the author through this section of text is going to show his readers and us the superiority of Christ, the superiority of the new covenant that Christ brings. And he's going to start in today's text with the themes of sanctuary and sacrifice. So let's look at verses 11 and 12 and see how first the author tells us about sanctuary and how Christ brings that to an even better place. Last time we met together, we looked at the tabernacle. We talked about the Old Testament sanctuary. We talked about the ways that that the, the covenant was played out and the actions of the priests and the high priests, the tabernacle that moved with them, the temple that would eventually be built in Jerusalem, and specifically what happened there and what that meant to the people. We talked about how those things represented what was to come, how those things were not perfect, that there was something better. We've seen over and over again in Hebrews that the reason the Mosaic Covenant wasn't perfect was because the high priests kept being replaced. The high priests uh, kept dying and then having to be replaced by others. The sacrifices had to continuously be made. And that God has promised that something better was coming. We've talked about how Jesus is our high priest and how he is better than the high priests of the tabernacle. And here as we continue after talking about the tabernacle, the author now says the tabernacle was not enough. Jesus came to a better sanctuary. Look at verse 11 with me. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent Not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. And so we see verse 11 starts with this phrase, but, which creates a contrast to what we had just talked about. Last week, we examined how beautiful and wonderful it is that God provided the tabernacle. And beginning this week with, but, we see that something better is coming. That contrast between the different sanctuaries, between the sanctuary that we talked about last week, the the earthly sanctuary, the tabernacle, and the temple, which we've already seen are but a shadow of the heavenly temple, and then what we'll talk about today. And that sanctuary in heaven is a contrast. But it's mainly a contrast between the new and the old covenant. The audience of Hebrews was tempted to go back to the old covenant without remembering and without realizing that it had inadequacies. And those inadequacies start with the sanctuary itself. Christ, as high priest, according to verse 11, enters a more perfect sanctuary. This is the heavenly sanctuary. This is the one that's not made by human hands, that's not on the earth, and is instead the one that the one on the earth was modeled after. The heavenly sanctuary where Jesus is now, is what the tabernacle was modeled after. This is what the temple was modeled after. The things that the Jews had seen were shadows of the sanctuary that Jesus was in now. This heavenly sanctuary is perfect. They're tempted to go back to what they know. They're tempted to go back to the tabernacle, to the temple. And the author is saying, no, that's not perfect. You already have what's perfect in Jesus. He's in a sanctuary that's not made by human hands, that will not wither or fall. It's very interesting because just a few years after the letter of Hebrews is written, the second temple in Jerusalem fell and has never been put together again. That era is over. And if that temple was enough, then it never would have fallen. But it's not. It's a shadow of the heavenly temple. It's a shadow of the place where Jesus is now, seated at God's right hand. He goes on in verse 12 He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of the goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. This tabernacle, this eternal sanctuary, this heavenly sanctuary, was entered by Christ. You notice he uses that language of holy places. Last week, you remember we had that picture up and we talked about the holy place and the most holy place. The holy place was where the furniture was and things like that. And the most holy place was where the Ark of the Covenant was. The most holy place was a 15 by 15 by 15 space where the throne room of God was where on that one day a year, on the Day of Atonement, the priests would go in and make atonement for sins, where they would have to continuously, every single year, uh, sacrifice bulls and cattle to bring blood in there and to sprinkle it on the mercy seat on behalf of the people. Now, Jesus is in the perfect temple. And as the great high priest, as we've already said, when we look back in chapter 7 about how Jesus is of the priesthood of Melchizedek, he is the great high priest. As Jesus is the great high priest of this heavenly temple, Jesus entered once for all. Not once a year, he entered once for all. On the earthly temples, the priests had to enter once a year to make atonement for sins. Jesus entered once for all. Not only that, but he shed his blood instead of the blood of goats and calves. And not only that, but in doing this, he earned actual redemption. The very end of verse 12, we see eternal redemption actual redemption. What does this redemption mean? It means forgiveness of sins. It means deliverance from death, which is the punishment for sins. And it means freedom from slavery. If we look throughout the New Testament, we can see examples of how because of our sin, we are slaves. In Titus chapter 2, verse 14, talking about Jesus Christ, it says, uh our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. When we review back to Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 and 15, we read something similar. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, That through death, he, that is Jesus, might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus defeats Satan. Satan's power over us is the threat of the punishment of sin, the threat of death. Jesus has defeated that. Jesus has given us actual and eternal redemption, forgiveness of sins, deliverance from death, and freedom from the slavery that death held over us. Let's look at the things that we see in verse 12 that represent what Jesus is doing. First, he talks about Christ's blood and how Christ's blood is better than the blood of goats and calves because animal blood cannot atone for sin. This is really important. The blood that was continuously shed over and over and over again all throughout history up until Jesus comes Could not atone for sin. If we skip ahead to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, it says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So Jesus' blood is better because it can atone for sin. Not only that, but by shedding his blood, Jesus shows us that his suffering leads to God's glory. We read about this in Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 10, 11, and 12. For it was fitting that he, Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So God brought Jesus to perfection through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus suffered for our sins which perfected him and gave him the ability to be in heaven now you remember we talked about in chapter two that's not to say jesus wasn't perfect before his suffering it's just that that gives him the it gives us the opportunity to see how through his suffering jesus really was a fully man and fully God. So Christ's blood is better than the blood of goats and calves. Then we see Christ's ministry was also superior. Christ's ministry was superior to that of the priest and the high priest because Christ's ministry secured eternal redemption. That redemption that we just talked about, that redemption that brings forgiveness of sins, deliverance from death, and redemption from freedom from slavery. Christ's ministry gave us all those things. Christ had a once for all sacrifice that completely cleans consciences eternally. We're going to dive into what that means in verses 13 and 14. So, Christ's blood is better than goats and calves. Christ's ministry is superior because it secured a eternal redemption. And Christ's redemption is better than. Because it involves the forgiveness of sins, deliverance from sin's penalty, and liberation from enslavement. You remember last week when we were talking about the tabernacle, we said it's such a beautiful picture of how the Lord loves us and wants us to draw into relationship. How it pointed in to the east so that as the people come back, it's like they're coming back to the garden. How in front of the Ark of the Covenant, there were the cherubim guarding, represented the cherubim guarding the Garden of Eden where we had relationship with God. All those beautiful symbolisms and and the incredible beauty and glory that would have been not only in the tabernacle, but then especially in the temple, which was massive and filled with gold, were not enough. And we're not perfect. We're meant to look and reflect back on the tabernacle and the temple and say, wow! And then we get this word in verse 11, but showing us that there's even more wow in Jesus and that eternal sanctuary. The sanctuary that Jesus enters. The blood that Jesus sheds. The ministry of Jesus. Jesus and the redemption of Jesus are all superior to what happened in the tabernacle and the temple. They're all superior to what happened in the earthly sanctuaries. Because remember, the earthly sanctuaries are just a shadow of the heavenly one. So verses 11 and 12 talk about the sanctuary and how Jesus is better than those sanctuaries. He is in a better sanctuary than the earthly ones. And then in verses 13 and 14, we get a little bit deeper into the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. As the author has done before, back in chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, he makes an argument from the lesser to the greater. And we've already kind of set this up, remember? Look how glorious the sanctuaries of earth were. Look how beautiful they were. Look at the symbolism that was amazingly in. uh, in those sanctuaries. But the heavenly sanctuary is so much greater. And now we're going to go deeper. Look with me at verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. Now this would have been great news for the Old Testament, that that was being dealt with, that the the, the sins of the flesh were being dealt with in some way if a slain animal's blood and ashes effected purification of the flesh, which is what we see here, what we saw in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 9, how much more effective is Jesus' blood? Because it does so much more than just purify the flesh. Jesus' blood doesn't just purify the flesh, but it purifies our consciences and qualifies us to serve the Lord. That's glorious. It was so wonderful what God gave us in the Old Testament as a way to have our flesh purified. But it's so much more glorious what Jesus gives us, purifying not only our conscience, but also or purifying not only our flesh, but also our consciences, and allowing us to serve the Lord. I find some of the the things that verse 13 talks about interesting, because as you go through Leviticus, which I highly recommend you all do this afternoon, if you read it every time I said to read Leviticus, you would love Leviticus too, because it's glorious. In Leviticus, we see these these shadows being set up. We see all of these different rules being given, not to make things difficult for God's people, but to show God's people God's glory, to show God's people God's holiness. And so as these sacrifices are given to them, We see that the goat blood and the calf blood is shed but not only on the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16, but on a regular basis, as Leviticus 4 says, to, to give sin offerings to the Lord, to deal with the sin that we have that separates us, that breaks that relationship with God. You, you might have been like, what is this talking about, this ashes of the heifer? Because we've all heard of the sacrifices, we've all heard of the bloodshed, we've all heard of the goats and the bulls, but what does this ashes of the heifer mean? Well, as those bulls were burned, they kept the ashes. And they took them and they placed them outside the camp. And then they would mix the ashes with water. And after somebody had touched a dead body, which makes them impure, they would take some of that ashes and water mixture and sprinkle it on those people to remove the impurity because they were around a corpse. You can find this in Numbers verse 19. So death is a problem in the Old Testament. And according to God's law, they're not supposed to be around it. Being around death makes them impure. And so God gives them ways to deal with this impurity. And one of the ways is to take these ashes of these sacrifices made on behalf of sin from an animal that is without spot or blemish to keep the ashes, to mix it with water, and to sprinkle it on the people so that they would be purified after they had to be around a corpse. If you were with us when we did Leviticus as a Sunday school lesson, we talked about how it is not okay or it makes you impure to be around dead people, but that corpses had to be dealt with. And when a family member died, there were policies and procedures, if you will, in place so that the mourning could happen, so that the body could be dealt with. But in dealing with the body, they make themselves impure, and so then they have to deal with that impurity. In the same way that the high priests, before they could make the sacrifice for the people in Leviticus 16 on the Day of Atonement, had to sacrifice for themselves first because they were impure. And so the calf blood and the goat blood was shed for sin. The ashes of the heifer were made to uh, give us purity after we were impurely uh, or made impure by being near a corpse. And all of these animals that were sacrificed had to be without blemish. They had to be not tainted. In the ancient Near East, when you had a flock of animals, the most valuable ones were the ones that had no blemish, no injury, no spot, because they look pure. And so those were also the ones you could potentially sell for the highest profit. Because nobody's going to pay the same price for an animal that is lame as an animal that is not. Nobody's going to pay the same price for an animal that is ugly than for an animal that is not, even if you're just going to eat it. And so as these sacrifices were made, it wasn't costly just because they had to give up something that they had. You know, Because if we have to do that, usually we give up the worst things that we have to give up. If we have to, somebody says, oh, you got to donate something. Okay, well, let me find the piece of clothing that I haven't used in the longest amount of time and I don't really like. That's what I'll donate. You know, oh, look how holy I am for donating. But that wasn't really a sacrifice for us if we're not using it. In the same way, these animals that were sacrificed for sin were costly, were valuable. And so the people realized that their sin was costly, more costly than normal And all these sacrifices did was to purify the flesh. Which, praise the Lord that that happened, because otherwise they're still stuck in this broken relationship, but it wasn't enough. Now look at verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience, from dead works to serve the living God. Just like the earthly sanctuaries, the tabernacle and the temple were glorious and were wonderful and were beautiful, but were but a shadow of the glory and wonder and beauty of the eternal sanctuary. The blood of the goats, the ashes of the heifers, were wonderful for purifying our flesh, but they were but a shadow of what Jesus' blood would do. Jesus offered himself. Jesus didn't create the perfect animal as a sacrifice, you know, because he could have. He is fully God and fully man. He could have found the best calf in all of Israel and said, okay, this is the one. I'm going to make this the one that, that is the perfect sacrifice. Instead, he sacrificed himself. Jesus was without blemish physically, Jesus was without blemish morally. Jesus was without blemish, spiritually. Jesus truly was the perfect sacrifice. If you look back at Hebrews chapter four, verse 15, talking about Jesus as our high priest, it says, "For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin." Jesus was a perfect sacrifice, because not only was he physically unblemished, but he was morally unblemished, he had no sin, and he was spiritually unblemished. He was perfect. And because he sacrificed himself, we do not need another sacrifice for sins. Jesus not only was a perfect sacrifice for sins, but as our high priest, he didn't have to sacrifice for himself because he didn't have anything wrong. He had not made any mistakes. He did not have any sin that he had to sacrifice for. He was far greater than the high priest, which we've already talked about, and he was far greater as a sacrifice. Only Jesus could serve as a flawless substitute for us. Not only that, but we see in this text that the Holy Spirit was a, was a anointed uh, on Christ to help him in this. That's what it means when through, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself. So the Spirit has a part to play in this as well. Jesus is so perfect as our sacrifice. This greater sacrifice, greater than the Old Testament sacrifices, accomplished so much more than the Old Testament sacrificed sacrifice is accomplished. It did purify the flesh, but it also purified the conscience. This is a huge deal because nothing has done this so far. Nothing has given them eternal security. They have these actions that they take. They have these actions that purify their flesh, but nothing has fully atoned for their sin. Now, because of Jesus, they've been purified From their dead works. That's what the end of verse 14 means. Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. If we look back at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, we see that dead works are violations of God's law. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. And of faith towards God. Dead works are violations of God's law. And so now we're purified even from those. And because of that purification, because of that redemption that we have, we now have access to God's presence. You remember when Jesus died on the cross? It says, he died and immediately the curtain in the temple tore from top to bottom. There was no longer a separation as there was in the old sanctuaries between man and God. No longer does somebody need to be a a mediator for us to God. Now we have direct access to God because of this perfect sacrifice. And not only that, but we can worship this living God more perfectly. And not only that, but we have the ability to serve the Lord. That's what the end of verse 14 means. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through whom the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Christ's perfect sacrifice, Christ's blood gave us access to God, gave us the ability to worship him, in spirit and in truth, and gave us the ability to serve him. This is glorious news. The old covenant was sufficient for a time, but that time is over. The Old Covenant was designed to point forward to a time when something better was coming along. The Old Covenant, even in Jeremiah, we saw, was promising something better. The Old Covenant was not enough, so something had to come along. And the New Covenant is what came along, the sacrifice of Jesus, perfect physically without blemish. Perfect morally without blemish. Perfect spiritually without blemish. Sacrificed on our behalf. Gives us access to God's presence. allows us to worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit, because as we see in Acts chapter 2, as believers we are given the Holy Spirit and allows us to serve the Lord joyfully and faithfully. Well, the old covenant was sufficient for a time. That time is over. Alistair Begg says, the new covenant does not contradict the old covenant, it fulfills it. And we saw that in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. So now what? Verse 11 and 12 showed us that the sanctuary that Jesus is in now is better than the sanctuary that was on earth. Verses 13 and 14 showed us the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us is far better than the sacrifice on earth. But how does this help us in the storms and in the struggles of life? Johnson, Dennis Johnson, a commentator, put it this way. Christ's blood silences the charges of our own accusing, shame-shrouded conscience. He defeats and disarms Satan, who can no longer prosecute or enslave us by fear of death. Christ's sacrifice does so much for us. We don't have to fear death anymore because we know that we have a promised eternity with the Lord that will be glorious. You've heard me say over and over and over again, I love Revelation 21, 4, that one day God will wipe away all our tears and reverse the effects of sin. There will be no more suffering, no more shame, no more crying anymore, because we will be with God. And we can do that only because of Jesus' sacrifice. That's the beauty of Advent. We look forward to the celebration of Jesus' first coming, where he would be able to do these things, live that perfect life, die that perfect death, raise again from the dead, defeating that death, ascending to be with God, praying for us right now. But also, we look forward to his second coming, where we will be with him. I've said this before. I saw a shirt one day, I'm just visiting here and recruiting. (laughs) This is not our home. And praise the Lord for that. As we go through those storms and those struggles, those pain and that suffering, the loss of sleep, the physical ailments, whatever it may be, we have an anchor in the Lord. Romans Paul tells us for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord Jesus came to do what we could not do and to free us from the slavery and from the bondage of our own sin now Because of Jesus being in the perfect sanctuary and being the perfect sacrifice, we are cleansed, we are liberated, we are forgiven in Jesus. And we are free to worship and to serve him. So as we come up to, as we go through, and as we come out of life's storms, never forget that our anchor is Jesus the better sacrifice, the one who gives us true redemption, the one who gives us all that we can't get for ourselves, and that because of that anchor, we are secure. We have hope. Not a hope that can be taken away, but a hope for an eternity with the Lord. And we are called to worship and to serve the Lord until that day when he takes us home. Let's pray. Father, what a joy and a glory it is to hear these things, to to be in awe of the way that you loved us through the Old Testament, but also to look forward to the way that we will be with you in eternity. We pray that You would help us not only to comprehend and to understand the sacrifices that you made and and how that has prepared us and given us the freedom to worship and to serve you, but that we would do those things, that we would worship you in our day-to-day lives, that we would worship you corporately, and that we would serve you, that we would see because of what Jesus has done, we have the freedom and the ability to obey your commands. And we pray that we would do that. We pray, Father, that we would be Christians, we would be little Christs who are living in such a way that people are asking us about the hope that is within us and that you will strengthen us and give us the words to say to tell them the gospel. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you for his entrance into the perfect sanctuary. Thank you that right now he is praying for us And thank you that we have hope that one day he will come again. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. We pray that you are drawn closer to God and encouraged to be in the word. If you have any questions, please reach out to us at gpcga.org. That's gpcga.org.